Section 5 of The Heroines of History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine H. The Heroines of History by John S. Jenkins. Section 5. Isabella of Castile. She had all the royal makings of a queen. Shakespeare. Isabella of Spain, the Catholic, as she was called, stands before the world as a model of queenly and womanly excellence. In her, the energy of manhood, the wisdom of the statesman, the devout rectitude of a saint, and the tenderness and grace of woman, were more perfectly combined than in any female sovereign whose name adorns the pages of history. Far as the East is from the West, and distant as their several periods, is the character of this renowned Castilian from that of the passionate and cunning Cleopatra. The beautiful conscientiousness of the former, her firm adherence to conviction, her delicacy and mercy and sweet humility, are a proof of the moral superiority resulting from the prevalence of truth, however perverted or obscure it be, in the place of utter delusion, whatever of classic attraction it may have. Oblivion has veiled her faults, if any belong to her intrinsic being. She is left perfect to the eye of posterity, except it be in her almost inevitable failure to assert at all times her own manifest and better instincts over those influences in her life and time which go far to excuse the few blamable acts that may be charged upon her. And such a picture of character, fair as her own lovely countenance, is framed in the most picturesque era of modern history. The scenery and romantic associations of Spain, the conquest of the splendid Moorish kingdom of Granada, the gorgeous evening of the day of chivalry, and the morning of great discoveries heralded by Columbus, were the fit setting for the jewel of queens, or rather an appropriate scene for the display of her noble qualities. The disappointments she endured in the latter part of her life the cruelties of which she was the unwitting or unwilling a better, the bigotry that took advantage of her piety, and the despotism established by her husband, the artful Ferdinand, are the clouds that darken the narrative of a reign else bright and beautiful. Spain was originally divided into four kingdoms, Castile, Aragon, Navarre, and the Moorish possessions, the latter comprising the most luxuriant districts and the most important strongholds upon the coast. Castile and Aragon were nearly alike, both governments being monarchical, yet in spirit republican. The king had little power, separate from the assembly or parliament, consisting of the grandees, nobles of the second class, representatives of towns and cities, and deputies of the clergy. This was evident in the oath of allegiance, taken in this form. We, who are each of us as good as you, and altogether more powerful than you, promise obedience to your government, if you maintain our rights and liberties, but not otherwise. Many of the nobles were in fact petty kings, owning vast and populous territories, which yielded them richer revenues and larger armies than the monarch himself could command. The continual jealousies and feuds existing among them kept the kingdom in constant turmoil, 
and thus originated the confusion, revolts, and successive tragedies that darkened the chronicles of Castile and Aragon, previous to the succession of Ferdinand and Isabella. While John II occupied the Castilian throne, his subjects laid aside for a time the ferocious and warlike spirit that had previously marked the national character, and imitated the refined taste of their sovereign, whose love of letters and utter disinclination for business induced him to neglect even the most important affairs of the kingdom, leaving all in the hands of favorites, and often signing documents at their option, without taking the trouble to examine the contents. The nobles finally became disgusted with their poetizing king, and jealous of the arrogant favorites, who, raised from an humble origin, assumed the dignity and magnificence of royalty, and presumed to direct the affairs of the kingdom. A revolt ensued, and Henry, the young son of the king, was placed at the head of the disaffected party. This storm was quelled at the accession of a new queen, a woman of strong and resolute character, who obtained such ascendancy over the ease-loving monarch as to cause the downfall and final execution of the principal and most obnoxious favorite, Alvaro de Luna. John's regret for this step induced a melancholy that aggravated the disease which terminated his life soon after. He left, by his first wife, one child, Henry, whom he appointed his successor and guardian of the two younger children by his second wife, Alfonso, then an infant, and Isabella, afterwards Queen of Castile, who was born April twenty-second, 1451, at Madrigal. She was but four years old at the time of her father's death, and was soon after removed, with her mother, to the little town of Aravello. Henry the Fourth was welcomed to the throne amidst unfeigned expressions of joy from a people wearied with the long and glorious reign of his father. They hoped for a vigorous government, and the prosecution of the war against the Moors, which for years had been in contemplation. It required but a short time, however, to unfold the worthless character of the new king, who, without a corresponding taste for intellectual pursuits, inherited all his father's aversion to business. At once indolent, profligate, and imbecile, he gathered about him courtiers who, like himself, sought only frivolous or debasing amusements, till, without shame, they indulged in open vice, boldly boasting of their exploits. The low state of morals was not improved after the arrival of Joanna of Portugal, whom Henry espoused, having repudiated his first wife, Blanche of Aragon, after a union of twelve years. The new queen was accompanied by a brilliant suite, and her arrival was signalized by the festivities and pageant due to royalty in those days of chivalry. Being young, beautiful, and vivacious, she fascinated the Castilians, and by her wit and raillery, overcame the punctilious etiquette observed at court. Her freedom of manner soon gave rise to gross suspicions. Beltran de la Cueva, one of the handsomest and most accomplished cavaliers of his time, was designated her favorite, and, notwithstanding her undisguised preference, the king, so far from resenting it, continued to heap favors upon the man, who previously had gained such ascendancy over him as to guide the affairs of the kingdom, to suit his own views and interests. To this polluted, licentious court, Isabella, 
in her sixteenth year, and her brother Alfonso, were brought after the birth of the ill-fated Princess Joanna. This was a matter of policy, as the king required the oath of allegiance to the infant Joanna as his successor, without regarding her supposed illegitimacy, and fearing the dissatisfied nobles would form a separate faction in favor of Isabella, he required her presence at the royal palace. All her early life had been spent in seclusion with her mother, who faithfully instructed her in those lessons of virtue and piety which shone out so vividly in after years. Her education received a finish seldom attained in that age. Her tastes were refined and elevated, her nature gentle and placid, and with these womanly qualities she united a maturity of judgment, energy, and firmness that fully fitted her for the commanding position she was soon to take. Her beauty, gentleness, and grace ensured her a warm welcome at court, but the satellites that invariably hastened to flutter about a new star and bask in its rays were soon overawed in her presence. The blameless purity of her conduct, her sincere, unostentatious piety, and natural dignity of demeanor repelled familiarity, while it won the truest affection and homage of those who surrounded her. She was one whose influence roused all the pure, noble, and true aspirations of the soul, and as such she stood alone in the royal family, and far above the contamination of its giddy train of followers. Being nearly related to the crown, her hand was sought from childhood by numerous applicants. While too young to have a voice in the decision, she was solicited for the same Ferdinand to whom she was destined to be finally united and afterwards promised to his brother, Carlos, whose tragical end defeated the purpose. In her thirteenth year, Henry affianced her to Alfonso, king of Portugal. But after an interview with that monarch, neither entreaties nor threats could gain her consent to a union every way disagreeable to her. Knowing her refusal would avail her little, she replied with a discretion, rare at so early an age, that, the Infantis of Castile could not be disposed of without the consent of the nobles of the realm. The chagrined monarch was obliged to withdraw his suit, and Isabella still continued free. Though Henry had not succeeded in disposing of her, he felt secure in having her under his surveillance, and in order to divert his discontented subjects, he announced a crusade against the Moors. He assumed the device of Granada, a pomegranate branch in token of his intention to enroll it among his own provinces. And he assembled the chivalry of the nation, and with a splendid army set out for the Moorish dominions. This grand expedition ended only in an empty display beneath the walls of Granada, which were lined with jeering enemies, but with whom the timid king would not venture a battle, flying even from the petty scenes of action carried on along the borders, unless detained personally by the indignant knights, who burned to retaliate the insults of the infidels. But, from all their expostulations and reproaches, the cowardly king took shelter in the reply that he prized the life of one of his soldiers more than those of a thousand Mussulmen. Repeated attempts like these disgusted the gallant Castilians, and brought complaints from the southern provinces, which were laid waste in these continual affrays, and complained that, the war was carried on against them instead of the infidels. Another cause of disquietude arose from the abuses of government, which occasioned almost a state of bankruptcy. The nobles, 
unable to obtain redress, converted their castles into fortresses, and with their retainers went out upon the highways, and robbing travelers and seizing upon their persons, sold them to the Moors, who retained them in slavery, except when redeemed by heavy ransoms. These occurrences received no check from the imbecile monarch. Such grievances, together with the jealousy of the nobility, in consequence of obscure persons being elevated above the old aristocracy of the kingdom, and some concessions made to Aragon which were thought to com compromise the honor of the nation, occasioned a general revolt. One of the prominent leaders of the insurgents was the Marquis of Elena, the most powerful noble in Castile, possessing a large and populous territory. He was a man of polished address and unfailing shrewdness, but turbulent, restless, and continually involving the nation in trouble. The other noted partisan was the Archbishop of Toledo, a stern warrior and churchman. A confederacy was organized which, among other things, demanded Alfonso to be recognized as Henry's successor, instead of Joanna. Too indolent to adopt severe measures to crush the rebellion in its beginning, he refused the advice of his adherents and yielded all that was demanded of him. He soon after retracted all his agreements, which so incensed and disgusted the Confederates that they determined to defy his authority and elect a king for themselves. An immense concourse assembled in an open plain near the city of Avila, where a scaffold was erected, and a crowned effigy of Henry the Fourth was placed upon a mock throne, arrayed in royal drapery, with a sword, scepter, and other insignia of royalty decorating it. A list of grievances was then read, after which the Marquis of Elena and other leaders despoiled the statue of its kingly trappings and threw it to the ground, where it was rolled and trampled in the dust by the excited multitude. Alfonso, then but eleven years of age, was seated in the chair of state, proclaimed king, and received the homage of the multitude amidst a loud flourish of trumpets. The news of this bold usurpation threw the whole kingdom into a frightful state of excitement, since every man was obliged to choose his party. Old feuds were revived, families divided one against another, and all the horrors of a civil war threatened to devastate the land. Henry was obliged to summon his forces, which were strong enough to have maintained his right to the throne. But they had no sooner assembled than he disbanded them, and commenced negotiations with the cunning Marquis. A cessation of hostilities during six months was agreed upon in order to make some amicable arrangement. But Henry's adherents were overwhelmed with indignation that he should have forsaken his own cause. Had a humane spirit dictated his course, he might have been honored. But the weakness and cowardice plainly evinced in all his movements made him despicable in the eyes of his subjects and the jest of his enemies, in an age when the laws of chivalry demanded redress for the slightest affront. The two parties maintained their separate sovereigns with their respective courts, each enacting laws as if the other was not in existence. It was plainly seen that peace could not be long preserved while they were thus playing at cross-purposes. But the ready Marquis of Elena devised a scheme which should conciliate all parties and secure his own aggrandizement. He proposed the marriage of his brother, Don Pedro de Pacheco, Grandmaster of Calatrava, a prominent member of the new party, with Isabella. To this the feeble king assented, though the project was strongly opposed by Isabella, 
who considered it not only degrading to her rank, but bore a personal dislike to Pacheco. He was many years her senior, of dissolute habits, was a fierce and noisy leader of faction, and in every respect unfitted to appreciate Isabella's lofty character. Her opposition availed her nothing, however, and not knowing whither to turn for escape from the hateful marriage, she shut herself in her own apartments, praying and fasting for a day and night. When weeping under the tyranny her heartless brother imposed, and bewailing her fate to a faithful, courageous friend, Beatrix de Bodadilla, the latter exclaimed, God will not permit it, neither will I. And drawing forth a gleaming dagger she wore concealed upon her person, passionately vowed to strike Don Pedro to the heart, if he dared to drag her to the altar. Magnificent preparations went on for the celebration of the nuptials. The master of Calatrava had obtained a dispensation from the Pope, releasing him from the vows of celibacy, and exultingly devised the most extravagant display for an occasion which was to bestow upon his fortunate self the hand of a beautiful and distinguished princess, nearly related to the crown. Already he saw himself a king. Elated with the prospect, and quite insensible to the unwillingness of the bride-elect, he set out from his residence with an imposing and showy retinue for Madrid, where the ceremony was to be performed. On his way thither, however, he was seized with a fatal illness, and died with frightful imprecations on his lips, because his life had not been spared till the goal of his ambition had been reached. His death was by some attributed to poison, though no one cast the slightest imputation on Isabella, whose well-known purity and uprightness placed her above suspicion. Don Pedro's death dissipated all the fine schemes for the reconciliation of the parties, and it was soon determined to decide the contest by a battle. The two armies met at Olmedo. The royal adherents greatly outnumbered the Confederates, but the latter made up in enthusiasm and spirit what they lacked in numbers. Alfonso's army was led by the Archbishop of Toledo, conspicuously arrayed in a scarlet mantle embroidered with a white cross, beneath which he wore a complete suit of armor. The prince, also clad in mail, rode at his side. Before the battle commenced, the archbishop sent a message to Beltran de la Cueva, advising him not to appear in the field, as a score of knights had vowed his death. He returned a defiant answer, minutely describing the dress he was to wear on the occasion, which cost him many a sharp struggle during the day. Henry took great care to avoid a dangerous proximity to the scene of blood and death, and upon the first announcement of the enemy's victory, which proved to be a false alarm, he fled in dismay with forty attendants to a near village for safety, leaving his friends to fight as best they might. The battle ceased only when darkness separated the combatants, nothing being gained on either side. The insurgents, however, occupied the city of Segovia, where Isabella repaired after the battle, and during the succeeding months of anarchy and bloodshed, remained under Alfonso's protection. The struggle ceased at the death of Alfonso, who, after a short and sudden illness, expired the 5th of July, 1468, at a little village near Avila, the scene of his proclaimed sovereignty two years before. His loss was deeply deplored, as he gave promise of unusual talent, and possessed a nobleness of sentiment that might have made him a just and great king. His death was ascribed by many to poison, and by others to the plague, 
which united its unsparing scythe to the chariot of war that wheeled right and left over fair castile isabella immediately retired to a monastery at avila but the alarmed confederacy looked to her as its head and unanimously delegated the archbishop of toledo to offer her the crown of castile and leon promising her their support notwithstanding the primate's eloquent entreaties she firmly refused the honor replying magnanimously that while her brother henry lived none other had a right to the crown that the country had been divided long enough under the rule of two contending monarchs and that the death of alfonso might perhaps be interpreted into an indication from heaven of its disapprobation of their cause the inhabitants of seville and other cities proclaimed her their queen and continued to send deputies to gain her consent to adopt their cause but her immovable decision obliged the confederates to open negotiations with the ruling sovereign which ended in, an, in a treaty many of the articles whereof were degrading to him as a man and as a king he declared joanna illegitimate and accepted isabella as his heir and successor an interview took place between henry and isabella at toros de guisando each accompanied by a brilliant suite when the king affectionately embraced his sister and publicly announced her as successor to the throne this was followed by an oath of allegiance from the assembled grandees who in token of their faithfulness knelt and kissed the hand of the princess isabella took up her residence at ocana where she enjoyed comparative quiet in the peace and prosperity once more restored to the distracted kingdom suitors appeared with redoubled assiduity now that her succession to the throne was established among them was a brother of edward the fourth of england and the duke of guillon brother of the french king and heir apparent to the throne isabella's choice hesitated between the latter and ferdinand of aragon though her decision was influenced by a personal preference as well as by the interests of the kingdom france was distant from castile and the customs language and manners of the people widely differed while aragon was closely allied to castile in every respect aside from this ferdinand greatly exceeded the duke in personal appearance and accomplishments which enlisted isabella's favor in this decision she was fiercely opposed by a party who had retired in disgust at henry's repudiation of joanna and headed by the malicious marquis of elena formed a new faction in favor of the discarded heir in isabella's marriage with ferdinand the marquis saw his own downfall and with the hope of frustrating her intentions regained his power over her guardian the king and it induced him to suggest to alfonso of portugal the renewal of his former addresses more publicly end of section five